Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Well, friend, welcome back. And if this is your first time here, welcome home. This is where we have conversations that make a difference. Conversations that will expand your experience of life. What's interesting is this past week, actually it's been probably the last two weeks, I've had five different people explain to me that they were a perfectionist. And uh, being a perfectionist is a pro- <laughs> is problematic. And uh, I'll, I'll explain more about that, but uh, I thought it would be a worthwhile topic to investigate in being perfect. Now, this has some implications uh, in manifesting, in the spiritual journey, in uh, just loving yourself, feeling good about yourself. So we're going to hit this on multiple dimensions, and uh, some of this could be quite esoteric. You know, deep wisdom. Wisdom not shared by the average person. And frankly, it's not. This whole idea of perfection, of the perfect margarita, the perfect woman, or the perfect man, you know, out there, or the perfect life, you know, it's a fallacy. But this idea of being perfect, of putting in the, you know, turning in the perfect project, doing things perfect, getting it right, it all points to actually um, a deeper issue in our persona, in uh, with our ego, and while people that claim that they are perfectionists, they wear it like a badge. And it, it is something to esteem to. And a lot of people do pull it off. They pull off some very good work. But I guess if that we're going to have a spiritual conversation about it, it is, it is in recognizing what is the belief underneath it? What drives this perfectionism? Is it just a standard of excellence, a commitment to being the best you can be? Well, that could be part of it. If you call yourself a perfectionist or have been caught up in the idea that you have to get things right or get it perfect, then you may want to dive a little deeper in this and we'll explore just what, what kind of belief is underneath it. And that belief is, I'm not enough. And the behavior that typically goes along with it is being a people pleaser, of going out of your way in order to make other people feel comfortable because God forbid they are uncomfortable because what would that mean about me? What would happen if I was to turn in work that was less than perfect, less than amazing? What would that mean about me? What belief would that validate that I secretly hold about myself, that I fear is true? And that belief or fear is I'm not enough. Oh my God, it's true. I'm not enough. Now, I've had some firsthand experience with this because I too have on occasion sought to be perfect, putting out the perfect podcast. I can remember when I first started out this like eight months ago, 10 months ago, and I did the same podcast, the same topic, the same stories four, five (laughs) times. And when you're doing a 20-minute or 30-minute podcast, that's like four hours of just hashing it out, talking to a microphone and getting it wrong and doing it over again, sometimes erasing the entire thing and starting from scratch. Now, 15 years ago, I wrote a book. I had 300 pages typed 
And when I went back and started reading it, I thought it was crap. In fact, it was so bad, uh, I ended up deleting the whole thing. I deleted it. I hit the key, delete. And I spent the better part of eight months writing it. But I have to tell you, I have no regrets about deleting it. It was interesting that I did it. And when I tell author friends uh, what I did, they're like, oh, my God, what did you do? Like they always they say the, the first draft is always horrible. It's always terrible the first time. That's why you go back and edit. And the way I say, when I looked at everything that I needed to edit and change around, it felt more cumbersome than actually writing the book. So I deleted it knowing that the book was within me and that when I was ready to truly sit down and write it, I would just sit down and write it. You see, I knew when I was writing it before, I was coercing the words. I was kind of forcing it out of me. And it really just wasn't the best expression. It didn't have the right energy. But I know, too, underneath it was the fear that if I was to put that out, I would be laughed at. Nobody would take me serious. So I guess uh, this is a balancing act of really looking at, you know, what is the work you're putting out? Is it less than stellar? Is it less than amazing? according to your own standards? Or are you afraid of what other people will say about it? There is something to be said about the aphorism that a job stands as a testament to the person that did it. So you have to be proud of it for yourself. But in the context of creating something that's perfect, of achieving perfection, it's rather a crapshoot. You see, perfection as a defined term is somewhat problematic. Because perfection is relative to the criteria that someone or a person uses to measure by. If you change the criteria, you change the definition. You change the definition of what is perfect. See, it's a perception. It is a concept with no hard definition because every person has their own biased perception, definition, or criteria. I've had people, clients, tell me that they don't like themselves. They, they actually loathe who they are because they're not perfect. They're, they're so far from perfect that they can hardly accept themselves. Well, there is not a person on the planet that is perfect in the sense that everyone would agree on it. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet and there's seven and a half billion points of view about what perfect is or even, or even if it is a thing. And it's not a thing. You cannot attain perfection because it's not a thing. You can't point to it. You can't pull it out of your pocket. You can't collect it. You can't put it on a bookshelf. So there's all my perfect uh, stuff. <laughs> it's a concept of mine. Perfection is an idea. I had a guy just recently talk about seeking perfection as a spiritual ultimate, as the ultimate expression, I guess, of their spiritual journey. But if you're continually seeking perfection, then you are always creating yourself as less than, less than perfect, less than whole. And in that mindset of seeking perfection, perfection can never, never be attained. It is the unattainable. Because if you declare yourself lost or imperfect, then whenever you look in the mirror, all you see is the imperfection. You can all, all you understand is the idea that you're lost. 
you can never find your way as long as you declare yourself lost. Now, this is why I love this quote from Daniel Boone, the American frontiersman. He said, I ain't never been lost, but I was once bewildered for about three days. And uh, as a kid, I thought that was the funniest thing. But as an adult, looking at it from a metaphysical perspective, I understood that he never declared himself lost. He was always trying to figure out his way. He was he may not have known where he was at the moment in relationship in relationship to where he wanted to end up, but he was never lost. He always knew where he was, because where he was was where he was. And in that moment it was perfect. You see, if you accept where you are at that moment, there is nowhere to go. It is perfect just the way it is perhaps imperfectly perfect. Now, the moment you contrast where you are to somewhere where you want to go, but don't proceed, then there's the feeling of that moment um, of being in want, that this moment is imperfect. Because you're not where you want to be. You're continually contrasting where you are as where you don't want to be. And there's no satisfaction in that. But this is the creative tension. This is the desire in manifesting. But in that desire, in that state of wanting, all you're creating is more wanting, more desire. There is no fulfillment from that position. There is no movement towards your desired destination. You're just caught up in this feeling of being lost, of being where you don't want to be. And in the context of manifesting, when we focus on what we don't want, we just get more of what we don't want. Because that is the focus of our mind, and the universe never says no. It is always saying yes, so whatever your predominant feeling, your predominant vibration is, your predominant focus, that's what you're attracting. But if you have the desire and you immerse yourself in the journey towards the destination in your thinking and action, towards the destination that you deem worthy, then every step along the way is perfect because it can be no other way than the way it is. This is enjoying the journey. It is knowing that you are heading in a direction, but where you are in that moment is perfect and that each moment unfolds perfectly, imperfectly perfect. Imperfectly meaning that you may not, you know, from outside eyes or from your internal, like it isn't perfect because it's not where you want to be, but in that moment, it's perfect. And that's how we are as human beings. We are imperfectly perfect. You see, all we truly have access to in this moment is the moment. One moment in time. And in this moment, it is what it is. Whole, complete, and perfect. You understand that if you create yourself as imperfect, you are part of the whole. You, in you declaring yourself imperfect, not enough, you're saying that God got us all that is. The universe is imperfect. It is less than. So to put a fine point on it, you create your reality. It is through your focus that you create perfection or imperfection. So it is through this point of awareness that you choose your reality. So 
to actually declare someone something imperfect is to live in illusion and is completely arbitrary based on the criteria by which you measure the situation or the person from. The root of perfection comes from Latin, and it means to complete, to end. Now, I don't know if you've ever created a work of art, but I have friends that are artists, and I have created art pieces of art myself. And there is this idea that (laughs) you have to reach a point where you just say, it's finished, it's done, it's perfect the way it is. Because you can always add another line, a little more dimension, another layer of color, or repaint aspects of it, add more, take more away. It, it can, you know, in essence, it's never, ever done. And in that context, seeking perfection is a never-ending journey, one that you will never find satisfaction in. So you might be asking, is there a practical side to this? Well, instead of saying you're a perfectionist, which is, you know, not possible, you can say you're committed to a standard of excellence, but you need to decide for yourself, what is the criteria by which I will judge this project by when I will know it's reached a a standard that I can walk away from? For myself, I can be completely honest with you. There has been no podcast that I've put out. There's been no speech that I've ever done, no class I've ever taught, no work with a client I've ever done where I couldn't look back and say, I should have, could have done this, or I should have said that, or if only if I, it is what it is. Now, another idea that is close to this is deservability. I had a client come to me, actually, she met me in a workshop I had come up to me and wanted to work with me and said, I have this issue with deservability. I said, that's easy to fix. So I asked her, who said that you could stand right there? Do you deserve to stand there? Who said you could talk to me? Do you deserve to talk to me? And she's like, what? I said, who gave you permission? Really? Did I say you deserve to talk to me, that you were good enough to talk to me? And for a moment... She second-guessed herself. And then I just smiled, and she got it. And she said, well, I said I could stand here. I said, now take two or three steps in any direction you choose. And she moved in a new direction. I said, who said you could move? Who said that you could desert, that that space was something that you could occupy? And she responded, well, I did. I said, now move somewhere else. And make sure that it's someplace that you deserve to stand. And we played this game four or five times. And then I asked her, is there anywhere in this room that you do not deserve to stand in? She said, no, there's anywhere I want to stand. I can stand if I choose it. I don't have to get permission from anybody. Is there anything that you could ask for that if you wanted it, you wouldn't deserve to ask for it. In fact, if you want it, you can have it just because you want it. Deservability has nothing to do with it. Deservability is a tool that your parents used and your teachers used and other adults in order to control you, to manipulate you, to coerce you in behaving the way they wanted you to behave. They offered you the suggestion that you needed to get permission and deserve to move, to deserve to get something 
that just because you wanted it, it wasn't good enough. Because frankly, they didn't want to go out of their way at that moment and give it to you. The only person that can decide whether or not you deserve it is you. Just who is in a position to judge your life? Who's going to say you deserve to be happy? You can be happy because you choose it. You can be rich because you want it. Because you say, I'm going to be rich. And then you can create it. Deservability has nothing to do with it. The fact that you're on the planet, the fact that you're here, you deserve everything. You have access to everything because you are God, goddess incarnate. You have the power of God within you to create your world, create your universe, just because you say so. Now, this leads us into another concept that a lot of people get hung up on, and that's the idea of permission, that no one actually said you could be great. No one gave you permission. Well, you get to decide for yourself. It was back in 2007-ish, 2006, when my cousin asked me to perform a wedding ceremony. And my first inclination was, well, where do I get permission from? And then I searched on the internet how to get ordained as a minister. And there's a place where you can get ordained like within five seconds of filling out the form. And then they charge you $25, $30 for the ID card to say that you're ordained. I've never had to use it. No one's ever asked me for my ID card to show that I was ordained. You see, I started thinking about this whole idea of permission and being ordained. You see, nobody ordained Christ to be an emissary for the Word of God. You know, he heard something in his head, and he declared himself the Son of God. But he showed up. He showed up congruently. He walked his talk. He embodied the Word. Nobody vouched for him. Nobody said, you know, he's got the certificate. He simply showed up, and it was through the force of his being, the, the energy of his presence, that spoke for him. Walking on fire. The first time I walked on fire was in 1988 as a student. And then I walked a few times after that over the next 20 years. And when I left FedEx, I became certified as a firewalk instructor with Tolly Burkan, the father of American firewalking. And after an intensive class, I was certified to teach and lead other people across the fire. But I didn't feel ready. Even though I was, quote-unquote, ordained, I didn't feel ready inside. So I asked myself, what would it take in order for me to feel comfortable leading other people across the coals? And what I had decided for myself is that I wanted a solitary fire walk found a space for me to build a fire, and I went through the whole ceremony of building the fire and then raking out the coals, and then I walked. I walked several times in the still of the night with nothing but starlight above me, all by myself. I walked 20 times that night, and the last time, I didn't stop. As I walked to the end, I turned around and walked back to where I started, only to turn around again and walk to the other end, and turn around. I did that 13 times for a total distance of 186 feet. And while I was walking, I heard the hoot of a great horned owl in a tree near me. And to me, that seemed to be a confirmation from the divine. So we can create our own criteria, our, our own, I guess, gates to walk through for us to know for ourselves that we're ready. And since then, I've led hundreds of people across the hot coals. 
and not a single time has anyone asked to see my certificate. Nobody ever questioned whether or not I could lead them across burning hot coals. Of course, I was the first one across the coals, so there was some proof in the pudding. But after a while, I gave other people the option to be the first to walk. But this pursuit of outside validation is all pervasive. In the coaching world, in the healing world, I see it a lot. I see people that have been certified in the one brain technique, in EFT, in Reiki, not just Reiki, it's Reiki one, two, three, they're a grandmaster. And they've also looked at uh, polarity therapy and uh, Thai massage, Swedish massage, all kinds of different modalities. It's like they could not list everything they've done, everything they've studied on their resume because they've been trying to feed this feeling that I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. You know, just one more certification, just one more, you know, class, one more (laughs) workshop, and then I'll be ready. In the context of walking on hot coals, you know, the, the most valuable aspect of the whole experience is knowing when you're ready to take the first step. And I have to admit, I've done it almost 600 times. And just before you take the first step, you're not 100% sure. Your conscious mind is not 100% sure that you're ready. I can probably count on one hand where I felt so completely aligned that I just walked forward. But every other time there was this, I just had to trust the whisper, the intuitive whisper that I'm ready and just lean into it and then take the step and walk. And I've had some amazing walks across the coals, each one of them different. None of them have been perfect. None of them have been any better or any worse than the others. I mean, there's some that I've actually burned in quite badly, but those were lessons. Those were things that I was able to add to my, my I guess, my list of distinctions inside, my catalog of references that allowed me to be even better the next time, to be even more aligned, more uh, connected. So in the context of our conversation, this idea of perfection, ordination, permission, and deservability are all in the context of someone outside of us judging our activity, judging who we are, judging what we're doing. And in the end, you're either living your life the best expression of you in that moment, or you're living someone else's idea of what your life should be. And to me, that is not living your life. It's being a puppet for someone else. Your only job is to be the best you you can be, not the best you that someone else thinks you should be. In the words of Jiminy Cricket, remember, be yourself. (laughs) I couldn't resist. So if you're an individual that is committed to excellence, to committed to uh, the being the best you can be, do so for yourself. You see, I have to put out good work, so I'm proud of it. And I feel proud that if it stands the test of time, that it communicates in a way that I would want to be communicated to. And that I can be proud of, that I can stand for Now, I also understand that whatever I put out at any given time is not the best I can do. It's simply what I can put out at that moment, and that over time, I will get better and better, because that's a path I choose. And this is where you take external feedback into account, so I have my own internal standard, 
but I also don't want to have people talking to me in five years. I said, man, I heard you five years ago. You were phenomenal. Today, well, it's okay. No, I want to constantly be improving, constantly want to be growing, expanding. And in that context, you're never going to get it perfect. You're always in the process of growing, of becoming more tomorrow than you were today. You see, just to clarify this, I do have my internal standard, but I'm still looking to outside feedback to make sure that I'm on the path that I want to be on. But I don't allow the external feedback to govern the path I take. I have never, ever felt good only doing good enough. I can remember one time when I was remodeling a kitchen. I had taken the job at the time as a way to supplement my coaching income, which I had done from time to time when I was getting my coaching business off the ground. So on this particular job, uh, I was almost done, and the client changed her mind. Instead of her gas stove, she wanted an electric stove, which is fine, but the house wasn't set up for it. There was not an electric line. So I had to run an entire new line, the length of the house, and put in a new junction box and tie it all in. But before I closed it up, I had to have a, a city building inspector come in and look at my work and sign off on it. And he came in, checked it in. This is actually the, one of the first times I had an inspector come in. And uh, he's looking at it. Then he looked at me, his eyes narrowed, and he asked, are you an electrician? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, this is incredible. I go, what do you mean? He said, this is the best work I've ever seen. And I've been doing this for 25 years. He asked me where I learned to do this. I said, well, my father, but he wasn't an electrician. He learned from a book. And then I referred to a book. And then he said, well, it is textbook work. But I've never seen the attention to detail that's here. I mean, I would almost say it's perfect. He said, virtually every job I see is just good enough to get by. And I told him, well, the reason I was so meticulous is basically my father whispering in my ear. Because I needed to walk away once everything's closed up, knowing that it was 110% safe. 110% would last for 20, 30 years. Because frankly, I could not forgive myself if something happened and it was something that I could have prevented. But really, was it a perfect job? From the perspective of the inspector, it was perfect. It met all the standards by which he was measuring. But when I was putting in that wire, I had to crawl on my belly. There was hardly any clearance in the attic, and I put my foot through the ceiling, and I had to repair that. And the client was not happy. Because in that spot where my foot went through, and then in the other spots in the kitchen where the cabinets met the ceiling, I just couldn't match the ceiling texture that had been put there before. So from the client's eyes, it was just a tad imperfect. It, she said that she could live with it, but I knew she wasn't completely happy. So the idea of perfection and beauty, as Shakespeare put it, is in the eye of the beholder. And in the end, the only person you're beholden to is you. You have to be able to end your life knowing that you did the best you could for you. Because frankly, you'll never please everybody. Not even close. You are always going to have dissenters. In fact, I just recently had a post that went up on Facebook and several people shared it. 
And there were some horrible things written. I could tell that they were not happy people, that they had a lot of extra time on their hands because they took the time to write the most obscene and degrading things about me. And they didn't even know me. Now, when I was younger, I would have took it kind of personal. But I can hardly take it personal of some unknown person in some unknown corner of the world, you know, with the courage behind their computer, knowing that I'll never talk to them, I'll never see them. But I have had friends that have retracted things that they've said, things that they've said with conviction, because one or two people um, expressed their dissension. Well, I'm not built like that. If there's any virtue of being in your 60s, and I, I'm just, I just got my toe over the line. But one of the virtues is, is that you no longer care to the same degree, you know, that other people like you. Because like it or not, you're closer to the finish line than you are the starting line. And you've realized the futility of trying or attempting to please other people. It is just not worth the amount of life force and energy that you have to invest in adapting to somebody else's program. You have one life to live, and it's yours. It's yours to do with whatever you want. Invest it in things that satisfy you. Invest it in being the person that you choose to be. And if you're committed to a standard of excellence, you know, screw the perfection side of it, but you're a standard of excellence, have a set of criteria, have a code by which you live by, and live by that code. That's what I teach in my Aligned Self program, developing a code, aligning your life with your highest priorities of life. When you do that, when you live on purpose, when your heart is aligned with your mind and your body, and you're a congruent expression of who you choose to be, there is nothing more powerful, there is nothing more valuable for you to be in the world than that. Because it just takes a short trip through Instagram world to see all the lookalikes and all the carbon copies that are out there. I don't know about you, but I value originality. I value someone that wants to be and thinks about how to be the best version, the best original version that they can be. I love people a little rough around the edges. I love people that are, you know, still working it out, figuring it out. And admit that they'll never, ever have it figured out, that they're doing the best they can. They're, whenever they get tangled up doing the tango, they just tango out of it. If they fall down, they pick themselves back up. Or they say, would you give me a hand? The people that don't fit a mold, that are slightly uh, weird, that are a little crazy. A lot of crazy, I don't know about. But uh, a little crazy, I can really dig that. I can really get into that. I was just recently in a conversation with one of my clients, uh, Hannah, and uh, she had expressed some uh, aspect of her life to me, and I told her about my experience with the same thing. And uh, I was, I, you know, I appeared less than perfect, to be sure. And I affirmed to her that one of the reasons I'm such a good coach is because I've made virtually every mistake that a human being could make. I've hit detours, I've cheated, you know, it's... Um, Today, I have a different uh, code of conduct, but I did go through all that stuff. I by no means have had an unblemished past. No way. So I know firsthand the pitfalls in attempting to be perfect is that you hold back. You don't start when the fire is inside your heart. 
You're afraid of what other people will think. You're, you're afraid of not looking good. Well, I'm going to leave you with a quote from the writer Goethe. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. This is Daniel Danovi urging you to follow your bliss and live the epic adventure.